Hey, it's Amelia, aka Big Tit. And I'm Natasha, aka Little Tit. And together, we're, we're the, the Graveyard, Graveyard Girls. Hello. Hello, and welcome to a brand new episode. Yeah, of the Graveyard Girls. Of the Graveyard Girls. I know, I'm trying to think of like creative ways to start it, so we don't I... sound get boring. I listen to a podcast and he, the way he introduces it, his, he just makes a noise. Oh. Every what, episode. What, what sort of noise? <laughs> oh. oh. It varies. Oh, okay. It's not a weird way to do it, to be fair. I mean, it gets I mean, your attention. It's a bit of an, yeah, it's a bit of an icebreaker, isn't it? Yeah. Because I think we do struggle with that sometimes. We we're do. Like, like, how do we start it? Even when we really plan it out, mm. we're like, yeah, let's st- roll with this today. Like and then we I start it. say... We're fine until we hit record. Yeah, and then like, I don't know, we get stupid brain or something. Yeah. It's like, we have to go through a process. It's like, we do this, we, this, this, and this step. I swear we went for a phase at the beginning. We got really good at starting episodes. I think we did. I think we had conflicting um, input of like, some people want us to talk at the beginning and some people don't. And yeah. they just want us to get into it. The case. And now we're like, I think we don't do either. <laughs> We're just yeah, like, we're just winging it, basically. I feel like we've regressed a bit, you know, like, yeah. not, I don't want to say childlike, but... Yeah. Yeah, we've regressed, like, at first we're like, yes, we're very mature, we're very professional, and now we're just like, eh, we're just doing whatever the fuck we feel like. I think it depends. I mean, sometimes we're, we always try to make sure we do aftercare of, like, certain Actually, cases. Actually, we haven't um, done we haven't that done for a while, it. yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, we said that we we're going to do that at the beginning. That's what I hate, you know, when I go back over episodes, like really old ones, and I'm like, oh yeah, we said we were going to do this, and we haven't yeah. done it. It's like, and then I'm like, yeah. So like, this episode comes out before a very uh, graphic episode, which we didn't do any aftercare in. Oh. So maybe pre-do that now, so when it comes to okay. that episode. Well, to be fair, this might be quite a nice episode then because it's not too graphic because obviously I'm carrying on with my theme of looking into solving crime throughout history okay and I'm quite conscious of like how I did like I want to try and mix it up a little bit but also be able to get all the information out so I'm doing them slightly different each time because like I know my first one it was very much a lot of like I looked at the timeline it was very scientific Mm. and then last time I struggled to find a lot of the sciencey stuff Mm. so I kind of more looked at like policing in the UK Mm. so this time I've try to kind of go for a bit of a mix of the two um and break it up a little bit okay but, so yeah. no trigger warnings in this one i don't think we need okay any. Uh, uh when you listen to the blackout killer episode just be prepared is what okay. i'm saying okay you will need some aftercare for that yeah okay well basically i'm for today's episode i am doing solving crime between 1910 and 1930 now i was doing decades before but however because of the war mm-hmm. in terms of scientific advances not much really happened so As i've everyone lumped was the... busy yeah well, yeah yeah they're a bit busy doing other things so um i've decided to lump the two decades together just makes sense yeah, otherwise this episode sense. would be like two minutes (laughs) yeah that's what i thought and also i have so many cases that i want to cover that i don't like i really enjoy covering the solving crime throughout the decades because i think it's very interesting and i think it will help us in terms of how we look at other cases because there's so many times we look at the time and go i'm not sure whether this happened and then by me doing this sort of research i think it helps us with that mindset okay but also obviously because of the way we do our little program now and like we set up we only have like one that's our single lone case 
if I did it every decade, that's like 10 months worth of me just keep doing solving crime. Ah, yeah. yeah. So it means I won't get to do any of my other cases for like okay. a year. Yeah. And I don't want to miss out on that. So yeah, I'm kind of lumping some together. Okay. Okay. I feel like I've just info dumped a load of information on people that's like, they probably don't really give a shit about, but you know, I've covered my arse. So if you're wondering why, I just... We're trying to find out what works best for the Graveyard Girls yeah. podcast. And okay. I have so many things I want to do that like, I also want to do them all like right now. I don't want to wait. And it's really difficult to like pace myself sometimes. Like I did with the Blackout Killer. That was supposed to come out in March. It came yeah. out, well, it comes just, out in a week or two. I just get really excited by some cases and I start writing bits and I'm like, oh, I'll just do like the notes and mm. then I can write up later. But then I get so excited about it and I'm like, I've got to do this case now. And yeah, I get a bit enthusiastic about it. Okay. Is, okay. is that concerning that you get excited? <laughs> no, but like, you know, like when it's a really good case, you're like, oh my God, this is going to make such a good episode. Like I've got okay. so many things. Not excited about the murder. Is it? I'm just what I'm saying. Yeah, it's just okay. like, it's a really good one. And okay. like, you know, or like you might have a good theory on it. Mm. And I've got so many like that, that like I want to share. And I also get torn with, I don't know whether to put it on normal or Patreon. So it's like, I really like, some of them like, I want to share with everyone. But then also I'm like, oh, this would be really good, exclusive, juicy content. So like maybe put it on Patreon. It's, it's very difficult. Speaking of which, if you would like to support us on Patreon. Yeah, please do. Because there's lots more on there. Yes. Uh, another way you can support us is just by rating and reviewing us wherever you're listening. Yeah, because we really need that. Because it's like for a while, like we got really well, like people are adding loads of reviews. But what happens is when people don't rate and review us for a while, it sort of drops our podcast down. Yeah. Because it thinks like people aren't really interacting with us. So, um, yeah, if you could go and do that. Like, we're not asking for good reviews. If you think it's shit, just say it's shit. But... <laughs> I would like a good review, but yes, yeah, if okay, you're honest, if, it's yeah, fine. If you're going to give us, like, shitty stars, yeah, like, make the criticism constructive so yes. we can improve rather than just write, like, it's shit. Okay. And everyone who comes back every week, thank, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, and thank you to everyone that's written nice reviews. Yes. Yes, okay, so I shall jump into this now. So this first bit, I'm going to do a bit of a timeline of some of the bigger things that happened, or major changes. Okay. Okay. So in, obviously, 1914, we had the start of World War One. So we basically, lots of policemen, or what were seven policemen at the time, were drafted in mm-hmm. to the war, which meant we had to start the reserved police. So this was the first time this was sort of used as an official thing. Um, And it also meant that at this point in time, you couldn't resign from the police unless it was due to being unfit. Okay. So you either had to, you could only leave to go into the army to fight for World War One, or you had to be like written off as it was like due to ill health, like you weren't physically capable of doing it anymore so it brought about and a lot of this episode we will look more deeply into how the war impacted policing but this is just a brief bit to start off with okay so special constables were introduced obviously due to a fall in the number of officers then in 1915 the first female police officer uh edith smith from grantham in lincolnshire um was the first woman to be given the full powers of arrest so oh. she's the first one introduced and that was brought about um basically because obviously they needed more volunteers but as constri- conscription bleh, was brought in for the war which meant like basically you had to sign up for the war if you were um, a man yes. and fit and well it obviously meant we were struggling for male volunteers for the police so they opened it up to the women so this is before uh, women had rights yeah ah. well they, i think they started to get some rights by now but they didn't have 
mm. full powers. And I think, to be fair, a lot of it, it was because of the war, because yeah. they were struggling. They're just so, like, ah, fuck, we need some help. Yeah, so basically, Edith at first was part of the uh, Women's Police Volunteers. Okay, that soon adapted into the Women's Police Service. Now, they rule because they're a reserve, they're classed as volunteers and therefore were Don't not get paid. paid. Yeah, mm. that's how you get around it. And they didn't quite... It's not that they didn't have full powers of the police. Like, they could obviously still make... It's more like citizens' arrest. Oh. Um, and also, a lot of the time, they sent them to deal with cases that involved women. So they didn't send them to for crimes to deal with men. Depending on what happened to the woman, I suppose you would want to speak to another woman. A woman, yeah. yeah. So in that sense, quite good. Yeah. But I feel like they maybe thought like women weren't capable yeah. of dealing with like the grisly murders. Like, yeah. do you know, it was still very much like, so, we'll have to send a man to that job. Yes. Well, no offence, mate, but the women have to deal with quite a lot more grisly stuff yeah. than you are probably ever seen in your life. But yeah, so that's sort of how it was to start off with. Okay. And then, obviously, over time, they were actually after the war sort of finished, they were bringing, they were sort of allowed the women to stay, if you like, mm. because they're like, oh, actually, they did do quite a good job. Like, they did manage it. We still managed to solve crime. So the Metropolitan Police, for the first time in 1919, drafted in the first woman on a paid role, and that was Sophia Stanley. Mm-hmm. So she was the first female to actually get a proper role in the official Metropolitan Police because the rest of them are still like reserves at this point. Mm. And they did keep the women's reserve on for quite a long time after the war, but obviously it was all still quite volunteer-based and not paid. So okay. she was the first one to be paid. Ooh, very interesting. Mm. Then in 1921, an R-33 airship is used for the first time to support in traffic control around Ascot and the Epsom Downs race courses. Oh, Okay. Which I was not expecting no. at all because they're still not using police cars properly at this point. Officers like only like top like I think the actual main like superintendents mm. might have a car, but more travel to and from the station. Mm. They're not using it to help solve crime. So I thought it was just absolutely mental that they were using like an airship. It is yeah. Other than like obviously the airships kind of explode. They're a great way to get around. <laughs> Well, it's not more to get around. I think because it's like traffic control. Yeah. I think they're supposed to like hover above and yeah. be like, this Guide. entrance is yes. getting really yeah. packed up and so then they'll be on a radio there, and yeah. they'll be like, yeah, you need to direct people yeah. this way. Isn't it, I've, I just thought like, I didn't even think of it as a thing Aerial. at the time. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I thought it was quite cool. And I like, almost like, it is advanced for the time, I think. Yeah. It, it's weird. That's how it should have been. But mm. then obviously it kind of uh, catches fire a lot. Yeah. So yeah, kind of backfired a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, I, I was very surprised yeah. when I found it. I was like, ooh, this is interesting. Especially in the, when was this? The 20... Uh, 1921. I can't imagine an airship. I feel like it's absolutely massive. Yeah. Because I'm thinking like the Zeppelin sort of styles. Yeah. And that's what I'm imagining. But maybe it worked. So, you know. Did you know, this is slightly off topic, I think the Empire State Building had Zeppelin docks at the top. Oh, but because of how high it is, it was too windy for them to dock up there. So they couldn't actually get up there in the first place. Well, they couldn't dock because it was too windy. Oh. So they could dock, but then the people couldn't get off because... It was too much to blow them off. <laughs> Just imagine that. Yeah, I didn't know that. There we go. Another fun fact. We're learning lots in this episode. Mm. Oh, there we go. Okay. Then in 1925... Harry Daly uh, was the first openly gay officer in the UK um, serving in the Metropolitan Police, even though though it was still illegal at this point in time to be openly gay, which I thought was very 
surprisingly you could still be arrested he's like committing a crime yeah but being a as police a police officer. officer yeah he didn't like try to it hide should, it yeah it shouldn't have been illegal like, it anyway be an, but it should never have been an issue no. but good for him for yeah good like, for him no so i'm I gay quite, and i don't proud. know whether he just sort of said i like men but then didn't enter into relationships and so he wasn't i mean he probably did but he didn't he wasn't seen as well, they would have classed as practising yes. homosexuality. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No it's one like, caught him, it was fine. Yeah, he just said that he likes men, but he didn't actually do anything about it. Like, I feel like that's kind of what it was. It's, like, it's no one's business. It's not, and it, it shouldn't be about no. them. But it obviously was at the it, time, yeah. and it was still massively illegal but at like, the time. You could, I, I'm not sure if you could still be killed at that point, or if it was, it was prison sentences still. Because at one point you could be killed. Mm. I can't remember if that's still at this point. I should maybe have Googled that. But I can't remember. Uh, anyway, in 1924 into 1925, police cars were equipped with radios for the first time because it's only really about this time that they've actually started giving mm. policemen actual police cars, but they didn't have a massive amount of them. Because it was, I believe, in the last episode when they invented the first police cars, but they only had two. For the whole country and everyone else had bikes yeah yeah everyone else had bicycles and i think it's basically they gave them to like what would be like the chief of police and i think it was for him to get to and from work the actual policemen weren't given the cars of course not so it's took till the early 1920s for the police cars to be dished out but i feel like maybe each station only had one mm. um and yeah so then by 1924 into early but are they using horses at this time yeah um yeah so i'll go into it a bit more okay. in a minute but they're using all other forms of transport, mm. so like horse and carriage. Um, I think I've written it a bit further down, but somewhere along the line, the first motorised bus is introduced. So like they're hopping onto public transport to get okay. to different places. Okay. <laughs> Which is not okay. ideal, no. but yeah. I suppose it was still quite expensive. It's still quite a luxury at this point, mm. isn't it, to have a car? So yeah. I don't think they really think to give policemen cars. And they probably just think, oh, it's just a fad. It's not going to last. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll be bored of these in a few years' time. Um but yeah, and then I couldn't find an exact date for it, mm-hmm. but at some point in the 1920s, police boxes were introduced. Ah. Mm. So I will go into a bit more detail. What is technically a police box? Is, that, is there a, like a phone in there or is there a... Yes. Okay. I will get into it a bit more because I'm going to sort of go into Because I was like, is there a man points. in there all the time? <laughs> well, I oh, okay. shall explain that. Maybe. They were kind Doctor of... Doctor Who's in there. A little bit. They were kind of... The idea, I think, was that they're mini police stations. Okay. So that's what I thought. But then I was like, well, they're really tiny. Yeah. So, well, I'm going to go over bits now and sort of go over it and go into a bit more of a in-depth overview of these timelines, but then make it... I'm doing it more specifically now just for policing in the UK. Okay. Okay. So, obviously, we had the World War to contend with, which I've already mentioned. And... That period would obviously have a massive impact on policing. Mm. So obviously, for starters, they saw a dramatic drop in the numbers of police serving police officers. So this brought about the implementation of the first police reserve. Now, part of this involved recalling retired police officers, and they would be paid and provided with accommodation if they had to move to another area um, to police it. They also had, at the same time, the second police reserve, which is also known as special... Which is where your special constables come from. Okay. Because I was very confused at the time. I was like, well, where did the special constables come from? But it's actually... They are the second police reserve. That was their first official name. Okay. Okay. So, effectively, they're the same thing. Mm-hmm. 
and that was made up of local people with good character uh. now based on some of our cases i think we co- we've covered over the last few months i think we know they uh, didn't do a, a, a brilliant vetting policy uh, they had they did nothing yeah um <laughs> i mean i will give them benefit of the doubt and say there was a war going on yeah so um i mean yes they didn't have the focus. people to police it no um so yeah they were kind of running out of people but i think there were more going on like based off people's character and what other people said like if they hadn't been in trouble if they didn't already have a file on them they were like oh they must be quite good so they'll do Mm. i think that's kind of how it went pretty much Mm. i don't think they had if there was nothing strikingly obvious about how bad they were they just let them in okay okay they obviously had to work as volunteers um and they were only given like little arm badges to indicate so they didn't have a uniform or anything so they just had a little badge like that they'd put on either their coat or i suppose in the summer if they're top whatever shirt okay so that you could identify them and you knew like that was someone you could go to um obviously they weren't paid because they're just volunteers and they didn't have any uniform and they also weren't entitled to like uh holiday uh, and things to, like that i don't think anyone at this point in time is entitled yeah. to holiday some places are okay, mm. okay. so when construction conscription was introduced into the war a number of military men were also drafted in to cover shifts on the second police reserve okay. because they were seen as like people i suppose before authority so if they can manage the war they can police the town which to be fair i don't think is too far-fetched no. we still bring military in now really to be honest in certain things anytime there's a flood <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah or a protest what's the army up to uh we need some help because the, yeah so need some cleanup so I think a lot of it, these ones were made up, you know, with military men that have been discharged mm. from active yeah. service. So they'll use them on a volunteer basis. Or maybe the back recovering from an injury. Okay. <laughs> I think a lot of them, they would you've have used them. You've not done enough. Can you go yeah, help Yeah, you've out? only had half your limbs blown off. So, you know, if you could do something else. I think they used them quite a lot in the office, you know, in yeah. terms of like answering phones or documenting things. Like they, they use them where they could, basically. Yeah. Okay. So from, as we've discussed in previous episodes, obviously from 1910, um, the police officers were awarded with a single day off each week for the first time in 1910. At this point in time, each police force uh, set their own wages and hours of duty. So there wasn't a standardised sort of amount you could do. So depending on which police station you worked at, depended on your hours. However, mm. most did stick to a nine-hour shift, which was divided in two. So you would do four hours in the morning and then either five hours in the late afternoon into early evening or during the night. Because I did wonder, like, when it said morning and night, I was like, well, who polices all through the night? But basically, your second half of the shift, you would either do it early evening okay. or in throughout the night. Okay. So I'm guessing that would swap from time to time and it's so it meant they could cover mm. the whole period of time. So they didn't have, like, day shift and night shift like we do today. Okay. So quite interesting, I thought. So annual leave, which is obviously a holiday, um, was only seven days per year, so a week. So you got one day off a week, and then on top of that, you were allowed one week off for the entire year. And I feel like you had to, like, effectively beg for that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Constables in county forces were mainly posted to rural parishes, and they had to live within those parishes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Even their rest, even on their rest days, they could only leave that area if they had permission from a superintendent. And I think that's because there'd maybe only be one yeah, or so two for need, a large area. Yeah. So if they've got like the backup man on duty, if something major happened, he needs to be in the area. Yeah, and to be fair, I can't really see... Obviously, people went to 
seaside and stuff for holidays i can't really see many people doing it yeah not many people moved about unless they were like vagrant workers basically um yeah most people stayed where they were in the little villages yeah which kind of makes sense so Mm. like tours it seems a bit weird but at the time i think it was quite normal it's normal yeah Yeah. so if yeah if you wanted to go away like where your holiday was because you so you might have booked in your holiday your seven days that you're allowed for the whole year but you couldn't just like up and go wherever you wanted you had to ask the superintendent if you could leave on those seven days holiday like can i actually leave the parish no (laughs) (laughs) and if you didn't have a backup backup man he was like no you're gonna have to you can have your seven days off but you gotta stay but you'll be on call yeah Mm. effectively which I feel, to be fair, with most people, how many hours they're working, mm. I feel like it was still probably a luxury. Yeah. The fact that you got seven days holiday. Yeah. So, you know, we take it for granted now, I think. Yeah, we have to look at it through their eyes, not our eyes. Mm. Mm. Okay. When the war started, those rest days, that like one day off a week, and annual leave were all cancelled. Mm. Mm. Okay. Rest days, however, did return by the end um, of 1915. And I think that's because... Obviously, when the war first came out, they were like, the war to end all wars and it will be done by Christmas. And then they... Yeah. Obviously, that started in 2014 and then they got to the end of... 2014? Uh, sorry, 1914. And then, obviously, they got to 1915 and they were like, oh, this might go on for a bit longer. So, like, maybe we should give them a day off each week because, you know, yeah. they're in it for the long haul. Yeah. Morale um, and everything. Yeah. yeah. But they, the holiday entitlement didn't make a comeback until 1919. So, the year after mm. the war had okay. finished. So, obviously, in this period of time, we hadn't long had telephones. Um, And in 1914, only the force's headquarters um, had a telephone and they were only connected to other headquarters. So your main police stations still didn't even have a telephone. Okay. Which meant that their main form of communication was still written word. Mm -hmm. So even typewriters had only just been introduced into police forces um, and they were seen as expensive. So most communications were literally written still with a pen and copies of everything had to be made in case the initial letter was like misplaced. Yeah. for county forces, information would be passed on at the beginning of shifts, and more rurally based officers um, only received information where they were visited when they were visited by supervisory officers or during monthly parades. So it's a bit like they called it a parade, but basically, it's like you had to yeah. attend a major police station, mm-hmm. and like they would give you all the information and like updates for the month. And if you had any information to pass on, you passed it on at the beginning of your shift. So it's a bit like a register. You turn up and yeah. go like, this is what it is. They give you a talk and then send you off to go and do your job. Okay. Okay. Mm. Um, it's very strange. <laughs> it is very strange. And then at this point in time, obviously we did have issues where we had like murders. So they needed to get urgent messages. They had to be delivered by the post office using telegraphs or telegrams. So basically you're running... I mean, to be fair, we had more post offices then. So like every village would have had like a little post office. Like It probably within. would have been the quickest way yeah. at that time. And the, to be fair, the postman probably had better transport than the police. So he yeah. could deliver it quicker. But yeah, I think it was telegrams or telegraphs that they sent it off. Yeah. They would have obviously had major communications. Um, and I think obviously they massively increased the amount of information like almost the post offices had because during the wartime obviously they needed to pass on important war information so weirdly yeah. they were actually the post office were provided with better communications than police and emergency services were which yeah. is it seems weird to us but i suppose at the time getting codes and like vital letters was more important than i don't know someone 
having the purse nicked. Yeah. Mm. It seems a bit backwards to us now, but at the time it made sense to them. But it it doesn't make sense if you look at like what's going on. Mm. So yeah, so weirdly, like I said, the police heavily relied on the post office to get the information around, well, which I thought was very interesting. Yes. Okay, <clears throat> so still by uh, 1914, police forces were not using motor transport. Um, instead, they were using horse or horse and trap, so it's a bit like a carriage, but more like flat back and open, yeah, if that yeah. makes sense. Um, or a bicycle or walking, so, you know, <laughs> you got run putting in the hard work. Public transport um, was obviously train or horse and carriage at this point. So they were they did have access to the public transport and they didn't have to pay. They could just hop on it and be like, quick, take me to so-and-so. So Reading, however, did have a tram system. And I believe it's the only area at this time that had a tram system. Um, but this wasn't used by the police until 1919, so after the war. Okay. Okay. Then the first police cars uh, were used by officers... Um, and they were introduced in 1924, which is pretty much... Like, I think this was at the beginning of 1924. And then it was the end of 1924 into 25 that they introduced having radios in the car. Oh, okay. So in, in terms of that, that like that advanced quite quickly, mm. I think. Um, but From yeah, like just, nothing to that. Yeah, yeah, it just took them a long time to introduce a car. I can't remember if it was 1908 or 6 or something when they brought out those two single police cars. I can't remember exactly when it was. It was in the last episode, but um, yeah. Basically, there was a big gap of over a decade where, I don't know, maybe they just thought it's better for the police to run everywhere, keep them fit. It's probably what they're used to and they're probably thinking, oh, it's easier for a human to get around because maybe the person who needs to be arrested isn't in a car anyway. Yeah. So the police, why would the police need to be in a car? Exactly. Okay. Obviously, the police main job was to catch crooks and keep people safe but they also had a number of other roles that you might not have thought of or that would now be done as a completely separate job okay Okay. so i'm going to go for a few of those and some of them were a bit funny um and then so the first ones we thought of it's the monitoring of weights and measures and the quality of food they were in it was their job so you know like the big factories it was up to them to go and make sure that like food quality control was kept to standard which kind of makes sense yeah because someone obviously needs to uh go through the quality control and stuff yeah make sure what's getting to people is right but at the time it was police police did it yeah (laughs) okay so i was very surprised okay uh supervising common lodging houses so i I think this is houses where there's like quite a lot of communal living areas Mm -hmm. they had to regularly go and check those and make sure like everything was okay and everyone was getting on which i thought was kind of good yeah yeah Maybe they should bring that back. Um, licensing premises for the storage of petri- petrol and explosives. Yeah, I mean, so, you don't really like want... now you just apply to your local council, wouldn't you? Yeah. And you'd be given a permit. But at this point in time, policemen were doing it. Mm-hmm. They also did the licenses of passenger carrying vehicles, which included hackney carriages um, and all the drivers and conductors of any public transport. So you, if you wanted a permit to be taxi man, or, well, it's still a carriage, isn't it, at this point, um, you had to apply to the police for a permit. That's weird. I yeah. suppose they're just thinking, like, oh, it's law. So it's, yeah. like, under the police umbrella, but it's like... Mm-hmm. It's, like I said, it's only now that it's dished out by yeah. your local authority, which, to be fair, it does make sense, because they all kind of do have powers. It is policing something. Yeah. It's just now it's done by someone in an office. But, yeah, before... It was the actual police that did it. I'm presuming they would have had divisions that specifically looked at those things. But yeah, to us, it seems weird that they sent a policeman out to go and check, but they did. Mm. 
Um, they were also in charge of visiting farms, and especially people who kept pigs, um, for issuing movement orders. So this meant you had to apply for a permit if you wanted to sell your livestock or move them to another area. I wondered why at first if it's specifically something to do with pigs. I believe at the time, I think there was quite a lot of disease going about. Oh, okay. So I think... I don't think they did it exclusively for pigs. I think it was for all farm animals, but they specifically picked those out, either because people were selling off dodgy meat mm. or there was an issue with disease at the time. And so it was like quality control. Okay. So obviously now, like, they'd have, like, is yeah. it like defra or whatever? They'd go out. But yeah, then it was done by the policeman. Mm. So if a naughty policeman caught you moving animals around <sighs> and you didn't have a permit, you're in trouble. Okay. There was also a lot of additional duties brought in as a result of the war. So they had the Realm um, Act and regulations that brought about many restrictions which became the responsibility of the police to monitor and this also included acts like the Alien Act. Now it's not what you're thinking because when it's I read someone it... someone from a different country. Yes. yes. <laughs> okay, so this required anyone who wasn't of British nationality to register with the police. As part of this, it was broken down into sections and they had what was deemed friendly aliens, Mm -hmm. which was people from countries which were allies of the UK. Obviously, if you've got friendly ones, you have enemy aliens. Mm -hmm. And this was people from countries who had previously or currently were declaring war on Britain. Some of these enemy aliens, normally men, would be placed straight in prison. Jeez, okay. Or... However, some, especially if they were like women and children, they were allowed to move about the country, but they had strict restrictions which were enforced by the police and they often had to report to like every police station. So if they went to the next town, as soon as they, they got there, yeah, they okay. had to report to the police. And I think it's because, especially at the time of war, they saw men as being like spies and yeah. enemy spies, whereas... Women could never be a spy. Yeah, and like children aren't a threat. So it's, like, it's not like they weren't letting people in. Yeah. It's a case of they like watched them like a hawk. I like how you're like, I saw alien and I saw yeah. red. And it's like, no, this is what it means. So, so yes. even now, Americans call people aliens. Yeah. You're an illegal alien. And it's just yeah. like, yeah, I'm Which an alien. <laughs> <laughs> okay. They also had it first. I was confused, but then it actually very quickly made quite a bit of sense. The licensing and movement of carrier or homing pigeons were monitored by police and you had to have a license mm. at all times and there would also be regular inspections. They're the uh, messengers. Yeah, yeah, they could be sending secret messages to Germany through yeah. pigeons. Yeah. So, because at first I was like, why pigeons? And I was like, oh yeah, actually. <laughs> okay. Finding temporary stabling for horses and places to park military vehicles. That mm. was one of their jobs. So I okay. thought, okay, makes sense. Yeah. I like that they're taking care of the ponies as well. Like, we must make sure it has a nice comfy stable. Um, they had to assist in the convoys of wounded men and escort them from railways to war hospitals. So I thought that was quite good. We kind of still carry that on a little bit now because some doctors, like if they're in, or ambulances, they get police escorts still. Mm. So I see this would have been the first time it was introduced, which is obviously very good. During the war, there was also a number of things that became the criminal act that weren't previously. And this included things like lighting bonfires, obviously, because you might have been alerting the uh, German Zeppelin. That's yep. where everyone was. Uh, the production of anti-war propaganda, which I feel like is a bit of a given. Um, and the ownership of unlicensed pigeons, because like we said, you might you have been sending send, them off yeah. secret messages. So obviously before that like, wasn't considered a crime, but it now was because, you know, you might be a bit pally-pally with Germany at this point. Oh, of oh. course. Okay. So then the 19... We're moving on a bit. War's ended and we're in the 1920s now. 
Um, even though we'd obviously, the war was over, it brought about a lot of changes. Mm-hmm. And I think because we'd not had a pause during the war, but we also kind of had in the way the policings, they brought in a lot of acts that they wouldn't have otherwise had. And then I think the war calmed down and people were like, well, these aren't really very relevant anymore. And also in terms of advances in policing, it kind of had a bit of a stalemate because in the late 1800s, we were like communicating quite a bit with like France um, on like policing methods and interrogations and mm. like, and we were sharing a lot of information and then also sending it over to the States on like how we can better police. The war obviously put a stop to that. One, because we were worried about communications being intercepted. Yes. And two, we were so preoccupied with the war that we kind of forgot about it. And I think... In terms of the UK, our actual police standards, I don't want to say they dropped. I just don't think we really made any changes. And the changes are all very, very war-driven. Yeah. And I think we were weirdly quite paranoid. Um, so by the 1920s, there was quite a bit of uproar within the public in terms of how police dealt with suspects. It was very interrogation-based. and Okay. It was seen as very rough. Um, and there was a massive concern over um, police abusing their police powers that they had which is still very much an issue today but this is sort of the first time that the public sort of make a bit of a thing about it they sort of protest and a lot of newspapers are posting Mm. it sort of in the daily thing like this happened and this has like actual cases of people being brutalized sort of becoming in the media and And this is what i meant in a tiktok that was removed yeah there are some people because they are people in the police force that do it aren't up to standard with what a police officer should be yes they could be the one that commit the crime exactly so this is the first time like i said that we're publicly as a public like we're becoming quite outraged by yes. it so this is the first time we sort of look at the illegitimate acts that certain police officers mm-hmm. uh, were carrying out especially surrounding the types of questioning that we were doing we've okay. seen as rather than just asking a nicey nice question like could you have been here like now we sort of someone's a witness until they're become a suspect and like you're innocent until proven guilty i think because of the war and we'd caught a lot of war criminals mm-hmm. or who we thought were war mm-hmm. criminals you were guilty they went straight yep. in with it was an interrogation it wasn't nice and nice questions like oh could you come in to help us answer some questions or maybe help find this person it's we think you're guilty like you were interrogated yep. as soon as you came in and i think some of them were quite brutal attacks on people if they didn't believe them i think it got quite physical yeah so um a number of scandals then were littered the newspapers which meant that um the royal commission on policing powers and procedures had to be introduced in 1928 so this was like a board that would look at how we policed everything and like should we have a standardized sort of what questions you ask and how you ask questions and like i think this is sort of where even though they didn't massively change it, they started looking into things of like how you'd bring stuff in. So I don't think it was quite as advanced as you come in and then you get booked in. You're like, you know now, like you go in, you get booked in, they ask you, do you have any allergies? Do you have any illnesses we should know about? Mm. That still wasn't a thing then, but I think it's sort of the beginning of that. Like there's got to be a procedure. Like you go in, you take the people's fingerprints. You have to now start checking on people. Okay. And there's a rule of like you questioning. It can't be interrogation, like interrogation based. You've got to ask, questions nicely if that makes sense yeah like obviously i don't think there would have been a lot of police forces that still not that they didn't abide by it but i think they saw it as it was a bit like going a bit soft Mm. so some would have still been very strict but there was a basic standard of it's not got to feel it's got to feel like questioning not an interrogation yeah if that makes sense it does so 
Um, and this is now then when we're moving on to the uh, introduction of police boxes. So I can answer that question okay. for you from earlier. So these were introduced sometime in the early 1920s, but um, and they were designed with a phone inside. However, they were only for policemen to call a station about another act. So people could come up to them and they were designed to act as mini police stations like dotted around everywhere. But at this point in time, when they were first introduced, you maybe had one for like, a whole town because mm, i wasn't sure if there was like a phone in there that was just direct line to a police basically there would have been an officer around in the area and it was locked up and okay. only the police officer had access to use the phone so a person like a member of public could come up to them and say so and so crime's been committed and if say like it's a murder and they need to contact mm. a doctor or another police like the main police force that police officer would then have a key to access the police box to use the phone oh, okay. to ring the station okay but at this point the public couldn't use them themselves they had to still find an officer and it was the officer that used the police box okay if that makes sense yep however by 1925 um they then expanded this and added more police boxes and allowed the public to use these phones so they kept them open at all times Mm. so that they could contact either the police ambulance or fire service Mm. in case of emergencies so it's basically 999 in a box yeah basically (laughs) so like i said at first they were for policeman yeah. solely and then by 1925 i think they discovered actually it's quite a good way of getting hold of yeah. the station and rather than just having policemen wandering around all the time even though that's still important you could actually get the people to call the station with the crime directly yeah yeah and you could send someone to an exact point mm-hmm. which very useful yes okay so then obviously that's like i said not a massive amount in terms of how we changed our police i think it's more personal on a personal level we changed how we policed but i don't think a massive amount of regulations came about it was all sort of consumed by the war and then after the war of how do we change it back Mm. so i obviously wanted to look at the sort of scientific or forensic advances we had in the time and to be honest there really wasn't many over those two decades so i do have a short little list of a couple okay okay so in 1915 uh leone latz or Lattes, I think it might be, from Italy, developed the method for determining blood groups from dried blood stains. Because at this point in time, we could only do it from actual, like, fresh blood. Okay. So this is obviously quite important because a lot of crime scenes might be stumbled upon a while afterwards. Yes. So they had a problem. Then in 1920, paleontologist Michael Gerasimov... I think it is. It's really, it's a Russian name. It's That's a name. <laughs> I think it's Gerasimov. Mov. Ends with a V. Okay. I think that's how we, I'm going with that. Okay. He developed method, methods for facial reconstruction from the use of school fragments. Oh. So it's the first time they've, so I'm guessing this is obviously if you found just skeletal remains. You do the little... Yeah, yeah, it's the first time this is used. Oh. So I thought that was very interesting. Then in 1921, the first lie detector is uh, built by John Larson. However, they're not seen as admissible in court for quite a while after this. So basically, it's been invented, but we're not using it. But they still this. kind of don't use it. Because some p- people think it's like, it works. And some people think it's just a... They don't... We've gone back on it now. Yeah. We kind of don't use it now. But... Oh, obviously in a later mm. episode when we get a few decades down, it does become admissible in court. So yeah. basically it's invented in 1921 and this guy's like, this is brilliant. And they're like, oh, we'll maybe think about it. But also they're a bit like, mm, this is some newfangled thing. We don't believe this. It was like with the whole fingerprint thing. Yeah. So they've allowed him to create it and build them. But it's And police stations can use them. 
although maybe one or two are probably using them. However, whatever they find from it is not admissible in court. So they're basically using it to say, we think you're a liar, but then it gets to court and you can't actually use it. Well, yeah, because it's not like... I don't think it, it's not scientific no. enough for me. No, because like, just because you've shifted in your seat, it could be like, oh, you're lying. It's yeah. just like, no, I just breathed. So yeah. it's like... Oh, I'm a bit nervous because this is actually a bit scary and yeah. you're a scary policeman. I've not actually committed a crime, but you've made me feel like I have committed yeah. a crime because you've interrogated me from the instant I walk in here. So. Yeah. So, um, yeah, when I cover the, the next solving crime, I think I might do another couple of decades together because we've got World War Two. so I might do 1930s to 1950s next mm. and sort of lump them together mm. um, and see how that goes because there'll be more on the lie detector in that one. I've already had a look. So, um, yeah, I can I can answer some more of your questions in that episode, but I don't want to get too like ahead of myself because if I explain it too much now, then I'll just be repeating myself in the next episode. Mm. So, and you want people to come back. So I want people to come back. You have to so come back. It's a surprise. <laughs> surprise. <laughs> Unless you go and research it yourself in this meantime. But yeah, I just thought, I tried to break it up a bit much, a bit more in this point, and I said there wasn't really much in terms of scientific advances. Mm. But yeah, so I thought it was quite interesting, but I quite liked looking at it from the UK, sort of how it was more for the actual policemen, mm. or police ladies as it is now, mm. at this point in time. Um, although most of the ladies aren't being paid, but you know, we'll just ignore that part. Uh, well, they don't have rights at the minute, so why pay them? Yeah. Even though they're clearly was, better at the job. I was quite well, surprised. Like, I'm, I am surprised, and I'm, I'm not surprised. Like, they're good enough to keep the job after the men yeah. return. Yeah. So I thought it was quite good that pretty much as soon as the war ended, they decided they could pay the women. Yeah. Um, but I still don't think it was a job that many women were going no. for because in terms of families, they were still encouraged to uh, be stay-at-home wives and just pop out children. Yep. So even though they now had the ability to go and work in the police, not many really chose it as a career. No, because it would be quite... Depending on what crimes you had to deal with, it would be quite uh, graphic mm. and stuff. And like I said, they did... Exp- I think it's more because they saw, especially after the war, we had what they deemed as an issue with uh, prostitution. So I think they tried to draft in more women in the hope that women talking to women about it would discourage them. And to be fair, looking at some of the numbers, I couldn't find exact numbers and I I would have ended up in a real deep dive. But from what I looked at the thing, as soon as they started introducing female officers, there was a drop in prostitution. So they saw it as a positive. Well, if you let women work... No matter mm. how, if it's sex work or police work, mm-hmm. you give them options. They're now earning money, they might not turn to prostitution. Yes. Mm. Which is like the oldest profession in the world. Yeah. And, and there's actually it works. nothing wrong with it, really. Yes. It's a person's choice, isn't it? Yeah, if if that's they, what they need want to make to money. And if that's what they want to do, yeah. then let them do it. Exactly. So, yeah. But yeah, obviously, there's a bit of time, like I said, we can look at it and go, it's because we gave women more options of other jobs to do. But they saw it as, oh, we've got females to talk to other females so now they're not being prostitutes anymore that's not how it works (laughs) but from the male perspective at the time that's how they saw it so uh yeah hopefully you've enjoyed this episode i have yeah um and hopefully i've provided you with some information important information that you didn't already know i've taught you something basically hopefully uh i think that's it for this episode i think that is Uh, my brain's just gone like yeah i know i've like died (laughs) um yeah in the meantime Keep creeping. And we'll keep digging. I was just like...